This is the Wake Up and Lead podcast. I am your host, Hampton Dorch, and it's an honor to have you here with me today. This first guest is Josh Etris, and he's really important to me. He is a previous boss, a coach, a mentor, a friend uh, to myself and many others. And in order to lead at the high level that he does and have the impact that he does on many different people, you've got to be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to live with intentionality. And this guy does that better than most. And I'm really excited to learn from him today. And I'm excited for you to learn as well. It's time for you to wake up and lead. So I graduated college a few years ago, and I was interning at a company called WildSpark, where I still am today. We get to do leader development for other companies, more about that later. But anyways, this guy um, was the VP of sales and client success there. And I thought that I was about to get brought on full time. I was getting married in a few months. I was really excited. But then the global pandemic hits. Um, and so it didn't necessarily make business sense for them to bring me on. And so Josh sits me down. And he says, Hampton, I have an opportunity for you. And I'm thinking this is it. And he goes, we would like for you to be an extended, expanded intern. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, you get to work 40 hours a week. We give you a jersey. We give you a locker. We give you cleats. We call your name at the beginning of the game. You just get paid 10 bucks an hour. And I said, hey, <laughs> sign me up. And so he said over the next, and this was really a great challenge, speaks to him a lot. But he said over the next 90 days, you make your goal. We may have to cut the internet. We may have to cut the lights, but we're not cutting you. And, and, that, and I made it my goal. And, and, and um, I was graciously brought on two weeks before I got married. And I've been here ever since. Josh Etris, welcome to the show. <laughs> Anthony, uh, thank you for the introduction. I think it's important for your audience to hear that one of my personal core values is generosity, and it wasn't an attempt to be cheap or uh, to uh, try to pay you as little as possible. We just, quite frankly, didn't know if we'd have the money to pay you full time. So it worked out great in the long run, and we had our best Q3 and Q4 that we'd ever had, but in Q2, the leadership team sat down at one point and said, how long can each of you go without any money? And <laughs> when you have that discussion, you have to get super creative. And, uh, and you showed up, man. And uh, we probably would have turned the electricity off at the office and uh, kept you on the team. That's how good you were. So thanks for having oh, me on. Man. Hey, well, 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 that means a lot. And uh, if I were you, I probably wouldn't have just immediately hired the college intern either. So definitely <laughs> makes sense. But um, anyways, a, a, a quote and, and, on this show, I'll probably be quoting a lot of things I've heard from Josh. If you know him, you've got a lot of quotes. One of them that I've heard him say a lot is you never drift to your desired destination. And I think that would be a theme as we talk today. Josh, I know your story just got released on the SAS Bros newsletter, but I would love for you to talk a little bit about that because today, as we're talking about leading yourself and leading others, that's been a consistent theme throughout your life. So why don't you start just with a little bit of your story and how you ended up where you are today? Yeah, I'd be glad to, um, you know, I'll start with this. I think it's important as I tell my story to remind you and anyone else that if you're really faithful for four or five years, nearly anything can happen. It isn't usually three months of faithfulness or six months of faithfulness or even a year of faithfulness. It's usually four or five years. And if you do that long enough, a lot of really positive and really impactful things can happen in your life. So, you know, I worked for a ministry called Campus Outreach, direct out of college, focused on multiplying Christ-like leaders. Um, you'll hear the leadership theme often as we talk. Um, and that was a really huge opportunity for me to grow and develop. I worked on a really small team with a really large movement and ministry. 
that required me to uh, invest in and develop in young, growing college students uh, and bring them into the ministry to help really orchestrate and organize and run the ministry alongside me. Uh, that led to an opportunity in Birmingham uh, where I had a chance to lead all of our staff on their financial support raising. Uh, most of my colleagues were getting their uh, MDivs or they were getting seminary degrees. And I got my master's in business administration, I had a great leader who gave me that freedom. Um, and so I came into the office in Birmingham. It's been 18 months there building out a program where I coached all of the new hires with Campus Outreach Birmingham, really for their first 90 to 180 days, depending. Um, and so that's where I picked up a tremendous amount of the coaching skills that I continue to use today. Uh, you know, every six months, I get a new group of uh, people to experiment with. And I mean, what I mean by experiment is to try new things and to test things and have a hypothesis and run it forward. Um, during that time, I uh, had a key leader in my life say that I needed to find four mentors that are one, two or three stages ahead of me in life and areas that I'm interested in. So I took him up on it. I did it. I went to him and said, well, who are the highest level leaders, you know, he gave me a list of names and I went and invited those people to coffee three to four times a year. And I said, I'll bring the questions. I'll make sure we get it scheduled with you or your executive assistant. I'll make it really easy for you. And, um, and, and I won't bother you any other time throughout the year. And uh, they said, yes, one was the co-founder of Wild Spark, Justin Harris. And after meeting with him for about, I don't know, nine months, 12 months, uh, I sat down with them and said, I think that this business Wild Spark, which they had just started, is going to grow. I think it's really impactful. I think it matters. I think it's significant. And I want to be your first sales hire. And there's more to that story and how my wife really challenged me to consider my long-term journey of business and where I was going. And, um, and Justin said, hey, that's interesting. We are looking to bring on uh, the first sales hires. I interviewed, if you know anything about Fire Seeds or Wild Spark, it's like 18 steps. You know, they focus on leader development and uh, hiring leaders and um, developing them and deploying them in the marketplace. And they called me and said, Josh, we can't bring you on the team. Quite frankly, we're bootstrapping the company. There's another leader that came in three days before we we're going to make the decision. We were going to hire you. He has more experience in leadership, more experience in sales. And this is the best thing for the business. We really like you. We wanted to hire both of you, but we couldn't do it. And man, I was uh, really disappointed. Believe it or not, I was driving to North Carolina to do a backpacking trip with my siblings. I don't backpack. It was nine miles downhill the first day. It was miserable. Uh, my AC went out in my car. Uh, I took this uh, call from Justin in the car. I was sweating. I got into a coffee shop. It was so loud. I walked outside. It was interstate. I got in the car. I'm just sweating. And he's telling me no to this job. I really believed that I was supposed to have. Um, so three days later, after talking to some mentors, uh, I went back and said, Justin, were you just being nice? You Did you really want to hire both of us? Or were you just letting me down easy? He said he wanted to hire both of us. Uh, but he couldn't do it. I said, well, are you open to getting creative? And then I went into their office. He said, yes. I said, I'll come work for free for 90 days. And uh, after 90 days, uh, you don't want me to be on the team. I'll disappear forever. And praise God, uh, I closed two deals in the first 14 days. And then hundreds and hundreds of deals after that. Uh, and God really blessed the work. So that's the story. Um, you put in four or five years of hard work at Wild Spark as a BDR and then uh, AE and then director of sales and VP of uh, sales and client success. Uh, and that opened the door for me to become the chief operating officer here in Nashville with Anchor Investments 
uh, with our work in commercial real estate uh, and hotels. So that's the uh, that's the short story. It probably took me six minutes to share, but that's how it happened. A hundred other things happened during that time that were incredibly challenging and difficult, uh, but good and uh, blessed me and my family and the people I got to work with. Man, I have heard that story several times, but every time I hear it, I'm just like, golly, that that really is amazing. And I love what you said about faithfulness for 45 years. It really does pay off. It may not be three months. It may not be a year. It may not be two years. Four to five years, a lot of times really can go a long way. And I do want to thank you because for those of you listening, a lot of the work that Josh did early on at WildSpark, um, it, it was in the basement, if you will. And, and that really paved the way for, for, for kids like me to, to finish up college and, and walk into a job that um, at a company that we felt confident about. So thank you for everything uh, that you did. You know, we, we still talk about you today. Learned a lot from you. <laughs> well, uh, Hampton, I'll, uh, I'll add, um, I was grateful to work with you, but I do want to give a shout out to my wife, Shelby. Uh, we uh, forewent a five-year anniversary um, because we didn't have the funds. So we didn't do anything for our five-year anniversary. And we'd always said five years, 10 years would be big anniversaries. Uh, so we didn't, we didn't do anything. We had dinner at home. We didn't have the funds because of the 90 days. We didn't take a summer vacation. Uh, and I believe it was 2016. We actually went to my in-laws for a week, uh, which was a ton of fun, but we just set up hammocks in the backyard and got a kiddie pool. And uh, we had to make some challenging decisions during that time uh, that set us up for success later in life. Uh, so uh, big shout out to her for challenging me and then giving me the freedom and trusting me to take that leap. Um, mm. so, um, we can talk more about her later, but, um, thankful for her. Yes. Shelby is amazing. Shout out to her for raising your three sons and one on the <laughs> way. We'll talk more about that later. All right, let's jump in. I've got some pretty targeted questions here for, for Josh, lots of wisdom coming ahead. First, I want to talk about reading and books. Another Josh Eatrich quote that I hear all the time. Not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. First time I heard him say this, I, it kind of shot me in the heart because I, I didn't read almost ever. And I was like, but I want to be a leader. And the more I've, I've, I've grown over the last few years, I've realized that this is true. There's so much to learn. Josh always has a book in his hand. So can you talk to, talk to us about like your love for reading? What kind of books you're reading? I don't know, around leader development, whether it's leading yourself or your team, if there's any you would recommend. Yeah, I'd be glad to. And I think it's important for me to caveat that quote. Uh, that is actually from an American president, and I just re-quoted it. So Hampton, it. I'm glad that you're sourcing <laughs> me for the quote. <laughs> I just um, hear you say it. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm glad to talk about reading. I mean, I think it's important for me uh, first to say that if you're learning, that's important. So, you know, everyone has a different avenue or way or approach to learn. I believe books could and should be a significant part of that, but we're on a podcast right now. And so for me to say that reading is the only way to learn would go against the very premise of our conversation, right? Um, you know, something I say often is you become what you consume. And so the world and everything in the world is trying to distract me with mindless activities and mindless things, uh, really things that I think uh, numb you to what you're experiencing in your head, heart, and really the actions that you take, head, heart, hand. And so when it comes to books, you know, I want to live a very intentional life. And 
if I live 80 years, that's just a blip on the radar of eternity. It's a blip. And I want to use that time really well. So, you know, I think about books. Um, I spend an inordinate amount of money on books. Um, my wife laughs. There, there's just stacks of books around the house that I haven't opened yet and I need to read or want to read. Uh, but I believe those books have tremendous value. I can dive into it more. I really, I often put a numerical value or a dollar value on a book that I've read. So I'll read the book and I think this book might have cost me $30 and I'm going to guess this has a $3,000 return in some form wow. or fashion. And I'll give you an example, a book that's become quite famous, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Uh, it set the trajectory for one of our themes at Wild Spark, which was Project 1%. And my instincts tell me that book had between a half a million and $1 million impact on the business over a two to three year period of time, potentially more, right? Um, another book that I would consider having a huge impact on my life is a book called Switch, How People Change When Change is Hard. Um, you know, again, I'll usually leverage a book to craft a theme for our business, whatever business I'm in. And, um, you know, I think it's really important there uh, to think about, you know, how do you set that trajectory for your business in a way that impacts people and set a really crystal clear, big goal that almost seems insurmountable. So drawing out from that book switch, you set a major goal that seems insurmountable and you really drive towards it. I would peg that book at a million dollars, right? Wow. Um, third book is a book called Persuasion. It's for sales. Man, I probably, it probably increased, increased my win rate in sales by 10% you know, after reading that book. And when you play that out over the years, again, I put pegged that book at anywhere from 250000 to $500,000, if not more. So, you know, some books have a bigger impact than others. Uh, but for me, it's always important to be um, reading and thinking and uh, developing. So I'm happy to speak wow. into some books I'm reading now or my other thoughts on books. But I think most people are like, I don't know if I really want to spend the time or the money on that book. And I would say you, uh, you, you, you how am I to put this in a way that resonates? <laughs> you don't know how much time and money you're giving up by not reading that book. Mm. Let's go that way. Right. So you don't have much time and money you're giving up by not reading that book or buying that book. Wow. Yeah. I could, could not agree more. And, and Atomic Habits, I've heard you talk about that a lot. I read it, huge impact on my life. Um, and and sort of transitioning to the next portion of that, I heard you say a version of this and you can correct me if you want, but it was something along the lines of you usually don't read it or watch it or consume it if it's not four and a half, five stars. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information out there and there's a lot of really good stuff. And so I say all that to say you live your life with a level of intentionality that um, I would say is not normal. It's very positive though. I mean, I love, I love seeing that. So whether it's what books you're reading or the way that you're thinking about your personal core values or core values for your family or your mission statement for your life or your five-year plan, I know that's a lot and you could probably spend three hours talking about that. Um, but just, can, can you talk to me about the intentionality uh, with which you live your life? Yeah, I'm glad to. And, and I'll hit on um, the, what I say is uh, no non-five-star reviews or I really only like five-star material. When you say that out loud, most people turn their nose up. They're like, dude, this guy is messed up, <laughs> right? They actually say and suggest things that are, um, they, they feel that, 
you believe you're above them. And that's really not the case. I just, I am going to die. Everyone listening to this podcast is going to die. And so I really do not have the time to watch two-star movies or read three-star books or oftentimes even four-star material. I don't have the time for that. It doesn't mean I wouldn't listen to your podcast, which has at this point zero reviews. I would because I care for you and I support you and I want to come alongside you. But I have to monitor my time in a way that maximizes this short life that I have, right? That's really critical. So I think about all those books. It took forever to build a cathedral. It takes forever to put together beautiful stained glass. Well, I view each book as a stone in the cathedral or a piece in the glass. And if you only have two or three books, it's really not a beautiful building, right? Nobody looks at it and says, wow, that's amazing. That's, uh, that matters. That's important, right? What matters really is that is when it's all put together, you now have a beautiful window for the light to shine through and you can leverage different elements of the building to craft the beauty that you're looking for. Does that make sense? Or yeah. um, I think you hear where I'm coming from. What might help me, Hampton, is if you kind of list out a couple of the items that you shared and I'll take them one by one. Yeah, I know that was a lot. And I, and I like the cathedral analogy. That's great. Um, okay, so you're, you, have, you have personal core values, correct? I do, yes. Would you, would you mind talking to us a little bit about those? I would, I'd be glad to. So one thing that uh, I developed from a variety of resources was something called a one page strategic plan for my life. And I thought if I don't develop a plan for my life, the world will, everyone else will develop that plan for me. And so I want to develop a plan. And in that plan, I developed my own vision statement, my own mission statement. I developed uh, my personal core values. I developed my 20 year target, 10 year target, five year target, three years, one year, 90 days. And I can pull that plan out at any given point in time and say, am I on track and am I headed in the right direction? So my personal core values, we'll see if I can get them in one go. They're not in order, but it's relentless optimism. It's bias towards action. It's focus on people and results. It's aggressive learning, relentless optimism, aggressive learning, focus on people and results, bias towards action. And the last one, team over self team yes. over self and uh i try to live those out in every element of my life and I, I externalize them even saying them out loud i now have to align my life with them. otherwise you would say this guy is saying something but he's not doing it mm. and so those are the values that i live by and that are important to me and that i truly enjoy they're very difficult but i enjoy them and they're behaviors that i'm seeking to live and engage the world with. Wow. That's, that's awesome. And, and even those, those core values, we still talk about those today at Wild Spark. Eaters told me I want to have, I want to have a bias towards action or I need to be an aggressive learner. That one has stuck with me a lot. So, I mean, even your core values are rubbing off on us as well. One thing you said is if you're not intentional about your life, if you're not developing a plan for your life, the world will, if you look around, the world's going to tell you what to do. Um, and, and, and that can, not necessarily always go so well. And so from knowing you, I think a really big part of, of your ability to refuel probably lies on, on, on your weekend. 
uh, on, on Saturday. Can you talk to us a little bit about what the Etris family does every weekend? One of the biggest rhythms of your life. I think that'd be really helpful for us to hear. Yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, and the reason I'm talking about this is because I did it so poorly for so long that it was actually destroying elements of my life and my family. So early in my career, I was so driven and so motivated, so ambitious. I would just outwork anyone that I could. And I thought, well, I don't come from much. Uh, I'm not that smart. Uh, I don't have a lot of money or financial wealth. But if I just work harder than everyone else, I'll be good. And uh, oftentimes, I would just be working seven days a week, every day. And uh, I found myself at times, you know, getting sick or wearing down or overburdening others. And I realized something about this is really broken. And so I started to study the uh, Judeo-Christian habits of the Sabbath, which is taking one day a week uh, to rest and to worship and to enjoy time with your family and uh, to study the scriptures and to uh, go to corporate worship and uh, a lot of elements that come with that. And so about three years ago, I read a book called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. There are some other books on the Sabbath that are really important about what rest looks like, but um, I decided that our family would have 24 hours each week where we did no work, where we actually rested. And so on Saturday nights, uh, we prepare all the food for the next day ahead of time. Uh, we do what we call Sabbath cleanup. So we pick up the house and we get things in order. Um, then we light a candle to start the Sabbath. It's more symbolic than anything. And then I actually have each kid stand up in front of me. I put my hand on each son's head and I give them a blessing. I usually calling out the things I've seen in them um, that, that have excited me or that are aligned with who we want to be. I'm just calling out what's in them, things I want them to align their lives around. And then we have a bit of a feast um, that could include wine or bourbon or a good meal. And then we rest, man. We go to church on Sunday morning. We take walks. We pray. We sing hymns. We uh, we have fun in the yard. Anything that would be restful and refueling, we do. So I actually take Gmail off my phone. I take Slack off my phone. I take LinkedIn off my phone. It's more guardrails than anything. It's okay if you have to do a little work from time to time. It's okay to go do good works. It's okay if your friend has a flat tire to go help them. Uh, but the premise is that we take a day to rest and refuel physically and spiritually. And so that's what we do. But I also, I, I want to say, I recommend that any given person has 21 slots in their week. So let's say morning, afternoon, and evening, seven days a week. Most people need between four and seven slots that are uh, Sabbath, that are rest and refueling. Three of them need to be connected so that might be Wednesday evening, open, Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, open. You need to find three that are connected. And then based on your capacity or based on um, what you're able to do, you might have anywhere from, um, you know, three to four other slides that you use throughout the week. Man, that 21 slots right there. I've never heard you talk about that before. I'm going to be thinking about that this week. That is um, that's big time right there. Um, so one, one thing from the ruthless elimination of hurry, I also read that book because of you. Um, one thing that you hear a lot in there is that our society wears busyness as a badge of success. Um, the, the busier you are, the more you do, like the, the more successful you are. And that's a lie that's really easy to believe. And it's not bad to be busy and to work hard 
and you do that, but it's really cool to watch you take a day to really rest and refuel every week. I'm sure that has a huge impact on going forward into the rest of your week. Um, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I'll add, um, I think it's important that anybody starts to attempt this, that it took us about three to four years to perfect. And it still isn't perfect, but it was a challenge. It was a discipline like anything else. It was like going to the gym after not having gone for 10 years. And so you think this is going to be great, but it's actually really hard and really challenging in the beginning. But if you, like I said earlier, are faithful for four or five years, you tend to uh, reap what you sow and, um, and it really grows and develops into something you look forward to. You know, I say Saturday evening to Sunday evening is the absolute best 24 hours of my week at this point. So that's just a reminder for those who are like, oh, I'd really love to attempt that or try that. It's not just try it once or twice. It'll be super challenging. It's to put in a pattern in your life that you can repeat over a sustained period of time. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Um, okay. Thanks for sharing about that. So on this podcast, we're going to talk a lot about leadership, but in, in two main forms, one leading yourself, but then leading a team or leading other people. And most of you probably know in order to lead a team or others, well, you've got to be able to lead yourself. So we spent the first portion really talking about how can you be intentional about leading yourself through core values or habits or reading or, or whatever it is. Let's transition now into what it looks like to, to lead a team. And, and Josh is doing that at anchor right now. Um, one big thing that I've, I've heard Josh talk a lot about and, and do a lot um, is, is the idea of feedback. When we used to work together, he would just beg me to give him feedback. Like, Hey, how did I do? What can I do better? Tell me about this. Tell me about that. And I had never seen it before. And he really helped ingrain that into our culture and it had a huge impact. And it still does today at wild spark. We give each other feedback all the time. So talk to me a little bit about your model of feedback um, and, and why it's important to you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to. I uh, have that. I think part of my brain is broken. When people give me feedback, I actually feel that they're giving me just a huge hug, <laughs> just a huge warm hug. Uh, because I think at this point, not only do I have positional authority, right? I'm the chief operating officer. So I'm over them in the sense that I'm leading that portion of the org. But I also have intellectual authority in terms of um, things I've read or done, or I'll call it experiential authority. That's a better way to put it. And so for someone to give me feedback for most people, if they don't know me really well, is very dangerous, right? Let me go give the boss feedback. Um, and so that's why I have to invite it so often and truly listen. Even if it's 98% incorrect, I'm trying to draw out the 2% that's correct and work on it and grow in it. And if we say the definition of trust is intent, ability, and execution, I have to show people my ability to change, right? That I can actually change. And then I have to execute on that change so that long-term they'll trust my intent that I truly want them to grow and develop, mm. right? Uh, there's, there's a lesson on that in WildSpark uh, itself, the tool I know that you represent and that your clients use. Um, you know, feedback is interesting in that it's very uncomfortable. You know, you have to normalize it, your work culture. You have to make it a part of what you do. It's almost like jumping into a freezing cold pool. And the pool may not be that cold, but when you first get in, it's like, I am hyperventilating. I am about, you, you think I'm going to die. <laughs> I mean, and so uh, what I've realized is it's, it's really important early on to just go ahead and get in the pool as 
early as you can because two or three minutes after swimming in the pool, it just feels like the environment you're in. It's no longer freezing. It's no longer cold. You're comfortable in it. You get used to it. And uh, it's really a great experience. And so I try to normalize it very early on in the interview process. I actually give people feedback in the interview process. Every time we interview people, I give them crystal clear feedback. I do want to celebrate what they've done. I do want to champion who they are. But then I do want to challenge them in some key area. And so the sooner you get some feedback after they start in small doses, quickly, early, fast, over and over and over and over again, they really get used to it. And just like going to the gym, right? If you haven't gone for a long time, you're so sore in the beginning, but you do get to a place where if you're not going to the gym, you begin to get lethargic. You begin to uh, not feel the same. You begin to, um, I don't know if this is the right word, but entropy, right? Like you, you start, your muscles start to shrink. Well, I feel the same way about feedback, right? We've got to stay in the gym when it comes to feedback. We have to have other people who can see things we don't see, right? And point that out in our life and in our work so that we can continue to improve and we can focus on what the team needs to do to win. And that's mm -hmm. really important. I'll add a couple of things, um, a quote that uh, you've quoted a lot that I took from a good friend who he took from a German theologian is uh, love without truth deceives, truth without love destroys, but love and truth develops. And so it's really mm -hmm. critical that you actually lean into feedback in a loving and caring way. You want to make sure that anything that you've done wrong, you're hyper aware of. So if you have a big log in your eye, you can take that out so you can actually see clearly. And then you want to give feedback like a surgeon, not like a lumberjack. And I've had some really horrible experiences in my life early on and even in the last five years where, man, I got out there and I was a lumberjack, dude. I was just chopping trees. I was taking huge chunks out of these trees. And if the trees are humans, you can actually destroy that person. You're just lobbing that axe at them. Boom, boom, boom. And it's really dangerous and it'll kill the tree. Um, it's much better to function like a surgeon to use the smallest knife possible to remove whatever it is that's causing pain or damage or concern in that individual or in their work that leaves the smallest scar possible. And that allows them to heal the fastest way possible. You know, uh, in the book of Proverbs, which is in the Bible, most people are aware of that, uh, it says faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I thought that's so interesting, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Like your true friends, the people that care about you the most, they will wound you, right? But hopefully it's surgical, right? It's it's more like the surgeon and less like the one you get. Wow. That is that is that is powerful right there. I mean, we have celebrate champion challenge. We have the quote about um truth and love. We have the lumberjack and surgeon. If you're listening to this, rewind and listen to that about three more times every day for the rest of your life. Um <laughs> uh, so th that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Another huge thing that, that Josh Etris is all about, um, delegation. He is a master delegator. I have watched this man make something that is not a very sexy task. Look like he is crowning you King of the universe. And it's really special to watch him empower someone. Craig Rochelle, um, has a great leadership podcast. One of the things that he says often is the best leaders don't build followers and delegate tasks. They build other leaders 
by delegating authority and, and empowering and building them. And I've watched you do this really well, Josh. Talk to me a little bit about delegating. You know, big fan of the Craig Rochelle podcast. I, um, he says that if someone can do something 70% as good as you with momentum, you should go ahead and delegate it. So Maxwell says delegate anything that someone else can do at 80% of what you're doing today. But Craig says anybody can do it 70% with momentum. As a leader, you need to give it away. And that's actually really freeing. It actually frees me up to live out of my native genius or focus on the one, two, or three things I personally can do to move our business forward. There's a hundred things we could do, uh, but there's a lot of people who are looking for those opportunities to grow and develop. Uh, just for the listeners out there, I'm pretty sure I delegated to Hampton to set up our offsites, bring this TV in and projector and carry in all the materials and whiteboards. We'd always meet uh, offsite in another location. Um, and really what you're looking for with a lot of people is you say, hey, if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. And so you want to give people small uh, but achievable opportunities to take the best next step in their career. And the key is you need to tell them why. You say, hey, here's why I'm delegating this to you. This is important. This matters. Someone has to do it. And I think you were the right person to do it because of these three reasons, right? Now, what's also important is when you need to delegate something that is not sexy and is not fun, I just prefer to say, hey, Hampton, this isn't sexy. This isn't fun. This isn't the coolest thing. This isn't going to put you on the path to CEO but we're a team and I need you to have a team over self mentality. And right now the team needs you to do X. Can you do it? Will you do it? It's big for our team. It may seem small. It may seem insignificant, but X, Y, or Z does not happen. If someone does not take on this task. And if you don't want to, I will find someone else. And I think that's important just to voice the suck, you know? Uh, now as a leader, you need to get in there and do it with them. You need to show that you're willing to do that and you have done that or you can do that. I think that's really important, but uh, don't try to delegate something that just needs to be done and make it sound like it's the most important thing ever. Just tell them this isn't that important, but it does matter and I need you to do it. And I think that's really critical for people as well. Mm, that's strong. And it's hard to say no to that. I mean, even if you're just honest and say, hey, we need a team over self mentality. Can you do this or I'll find someone else? How am I going to say no to that? Of course, I'm going to do it. Um, so I'm not sure everyone I've ever led felt that way. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess you're right. Um, okay, so so we're near the end here. For those of you listening, we so a lot of this podcast early on, like we said, was talking about leading yourself, and now we're talking about leading others and leading a team. Um, so from from an even broader perspective, if I am an executive at an organization. Um, we are still, I guess, sort of in the middle of a, of a global pandemic. Maybe my company's growing really fast. We're having all of these challenges. Um, I don't know if I have time to invest in my people to focus on leadership development. I don't know if I, um, I understand it's important, but like, I don't even really know where to start. This is a broad question. You can go in a lot of different directions with it, but like, why should I, as an executive focus on leader development? Um, and, and where do I even start? Well, you know, I was prepared to talk about where to start and I need to take a step back and think about the why. I mean, when it comes to leader de development, investing in your people, do you want a team of people that are stagnant? 
think about water, sitting water. It just gets dirty and murky and there's mosquitoes and it's just nasty, right? And anytime something gets stagnant, it starts to get dirty. It starts to get murky. It starts to get, starts to smell, right? And so it's really important in your organization, both for your company and the individuals that they are feeling and experience, experiencing and living out progress. So one of the questions I ask in every one-on-one I have is, tell me where you're making progress or where are you feeling or making progress? And if leadership development and growth is not a part of your organization, you may feel limited progress or you may feel kind of uh, get the stench of something that's dying. Healthy things grow, really healthy things multiply. And you can't be really healthy and you can't multiply without some element of aggressive learning or leader development in your organization. So that would be my why when I think about it. Uh, Now, what you can do, there's a number of steps, but I'll focus on a book first called Upstream. Uh, Again, another book by one of the Heath brothers. They also wrote Switch. I'll talk about both of them. Um, First thing you do is you go upstream. It's much easier to hire people who are already aggressive learners, who want to grow and develop as leaders, than it is to take someone who's five years into your organization and try to convince them that now they need to grow and develop. And so I put an inordinate amount of time and energy understanding if the people that I'm hiring have a bent towards personal development, intentional living, are they reading? Are they studying? Are they asking questions? Do they have mentors? How do they go about learning? Because I personally don't have the time to do that for them. And if our organization is going to grow and going to keep pushing forward and making progress, I need everyone on the team pushing forward and making progress. And so we can't be stagnant. So first off, you're going to go upstream. You're going to hire up and solve the problem in advance for your organization. So you're going to hire it. You're going to find them and hire them, number one. Number two, if and when you have people on your team who are not inclined towards growth, who perhaps have never been in an organization where growth and development was a part of the DNA of the organization, one of the best things you can do for them is to shrink the change. So that's from switch, how people change when change is hard. You don't want to tell them, hey, I need you to get your MBA. I need you to read 100 books this year. I need you to listen to every podcast on X. I need you to do, right? That's actually overwhelming. It's much better to go in and say, hey, I want you to start with this short book. And I want you to take your time. Over the next nine days, let's have a conversation about it. Here are the reasons why I want you to read it, X, Y, and Z. Here's what I believe the outcomes will be. But I want to invite you in. So perhaps that's how you do it is you shrink the change. You say, listen to this segment of this 20-minute podcast, and I want to talk about it. So we weave it into every Monday morning meeting. Usually myself or our CEO or a team member we've invited will teach three minutes on a leadership topic. And at Wildspark, we do that every Friday, right? And so you can begin uh, with really small avenues for growth, which is critical. And then the third one is you own what you create. You own what you create, right? And so I think it's important in that sense that you give people the opportunity to create a plan for growth that they're excited about. Mm. So you say, hey, I want you to put together a personal growth and development plan. I'm glad to brainstorm with you. I'm glad to provide some areas I think you can grow and develop in. I think you actually know what those are already. And so I want you to put together a plan that has one, two, or three steps on how you're going to grow in this area in the next 90 days. And we're going to talk about it. And so you own what you create. That's really critical. And then the last one is uh, people who pay, pay attention. 
you know, I think it's important when you go about uh, putting some form of leader development or leadership enablement in place uh, is, is that people need to buy in and weigh in equals buy in. So weigh in equals buy in. So you need to get people to weigh in on their growth and how they're going to grow and how they're going to develop. So I know with WildSpark, which is a great tool, <clears throat> absolutely fantastic tool for leadership development, leadership enablement. Uh, one of the things I've seen teams do is they actually handpick, let's say, 50 people on their team at all different levels of leadership, CEO down to uh, intern. Um, and they say, hey, we believe you should participate in this leadership enablement program and this opportunity. However, here's the commitment that we're asking you to make. We want you to give the freedom to decline, but here's what we're asking. <clears throat> and here's the commitment form that we're asking you to fill out that says you're committed to your growth and development. And at any point you're not, we can remove you from this opportunity. And so that's a form of weighing in and buying in that can be really critical, right? So those are just a few things that I think of. You want to go upstream. That's really important, right? I said people who pay, pay attention. Weigh in equals buy in, which is really critical. <coughs> Excuse me. Shrink the change and you own what you create, right? The five ways that you can implement that over time in your organization. Mm, those are those are powerful. And um, I promise I did not pay Josh extra to talk about WildSpark. Uh, if you have any questions about that, though, you can ask me. Uh, you can ask him. Uh, <laughs> I don't I, I, I no kickbacks. I have a high degree of integrity. There's no kickbacks here, man. You have a great product. There's lots of great products, uh, but people should explore it if they're looking for leadership enablement for their team. Absolutely. Um, well, 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 thank you so much, Josh. So so. So much good here, so much wisdom. I am learning a ton. And for those of you listening, I've recently been introduced to this topic of learning in public. And that's what this is. That's what I'm doing right now. Um, and I will continue to learn from Josh for a very long time. So real quick before we wrap up, Josh, uh, where can people find you? I know you're a big LinkedIn guy, um, but but just just tell us where people can find and, and learn more from you. Should I go ahead and get my cell phone publicly right now? Yes, do it, do it. I'm, I'm actually going to do it. This is I've never done this before. If someone wants to reach out to me, my phone number is 678-878-8733. So here's the key. When you call me, I will not answer. I will not answer. You need to leave me a voicemail. Tell me that you heard me on the podcast with Hampton and that you wanted to chat for 15 or 20 minutes. And I'll commit to calling you back within the next 30 minutes. So that's where they can find me, 678-878-8733. For the 99% of people who won't take me up on that, you can actually follow me on LinkedIn. That's my primary source for social media. Um, and that's where I tend to write a lot about leadership and about uh, what it looks like to be a healthy chief operating officer and the lead teams and lead myself. And lead my family. Mm. Do not miss that opportunity. I want every single, every single person to call Josh uh, on this podcast. We'll see if he can live up to it. And last thing, if I am taking a vacation to Nashville, where do I stay? <laughs> so uh Hampton, thanks a ton. Uh for the audience. Uh the company I work for, we have a brand of hotels called Mission Hotels. Uh we actually give back over 50% of the profits directly to those experiencing homelessness. We have three hotels that are active right now. We have one called 506 Lofts. It's six lofts downtown. We have one called the Russell. It's a beautiful hotel. Uh, and we have a brand new hotel, maybe the most vibrant, colorful, fun hotel you've ever stayed in called the Gallatin Hotel. 
Uh, we've actually renovated old churches. We've taken the Sunday school wings in different areas uh, and we've turned them into these just amazingly fun hotel rooms. Free snacks, free water, free coffee. Uh, everything about the experience is about what matters to the guest and not to us. Uh, there's no front desk. You check in, you get a code, you go to your room and you have a blast in Nashville. I promise you, they are the comfiest robes you'll ever wear, the best pillows that you'd ever imagine. And the number of emails we get asking people for our comforters and sheets is absurd. And for the ladies, you get that Dyson hair dryer. So uh, yes. that's a huge plug. I mean, would love for people to come and stay at five or six lofts, the Russell or the Gallatin. You'd have a blast. It's a ton of fun. And I'm really grateful to work for an organization that's giving over half the money uh, that we make directly back to those experiencing homelessness. Hey, absolutely. And, and I will tell you this, I stayed at the Russell a few weeks ago and it did not disappoint. And Josh is humoring me and allowing me to feel like an influencer. I even have a code uh, for the Russell. It is no more Hampton Inn. I believe that's what it is. You can fact check me if you want. If you use that code for the remainder of 2022, the first 10 of you um, to, to put that code in, you'll get, you'll get a discount. So check it out. Josh, Thank you for joining me. This has been a blast. Um, have a great rest of your day. Keep him back, man. See you later. See ya.